Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, whatever your insurance needs may be, and they'll find you the best price whenever possible. Maybe it means a bundle, but they'll they'll work at it. Because I know your budget is critical, as are your insurance needs. Great professionals or even better people. It's Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. We are in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Care, it's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Alex Kazora in a moment. First, our play-by-play call of the day. The Patriots with one shot to win it at the end. Here we go. Seahawks are going to win the game. Line up with a power formation, and you've got L.J. Collier and Leno Hill are the two guys who are there. Al Michaels with the call on NBC last night, and it was a play that the Seahawks could not stop all night long until they needed to. Steelers last uh, yesterday afternoon beat Denver now 2 and 0 to start the season. Alex Kazor joins us from Steelers Depot. Alex, welcome. It's great to be talking some NFL football that's being played. Th- thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Steve. All right, so let's uh, get to it. Let's start with Ben Roethlisberger. Uh when you're doing something for the first time in about a year, your concern is not the ability to go into the first one in the play. It's how sore you are after that first game and then overcoming it. What were your thoughts watching him yesterday? Because he looked uh, he looked normal to me. He wasn't that sore out there. Yeah, he looked good overall. I, I would say he wasn't quite as sharp as he was in week one against the Giants. There was one terrible mistake, really his first bad mistake of the season, the interception he threw to Justin Simmons. But overall, he was kind of classic Ben. Um, he made plays outside the pocket. He moved the offense. He did well in tempo, no huddle type situations. That was definitely on display week one versus the Giants. And uh, it's, it's a world of difference, obviously, to go from Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges to Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, it's just it's night and day. So to have him back, to see number seven throwing again, he's healthy. The line did a much better job of protecting him Sunday than they did two weeks ago against the Giants. So um, overall happy with Ben's performance. It's one thing to talk about the effect he has for receivers. You can just see in Juju Smith-Schuster, who's now healthy himself. But you can see that you know that he's got a lot more jump. But what does Ben mean for the running game and James Conner? It means a lot. I mean, Ben helps you, obviously, not only just in the pass game, but in every facet uh, of football, whether that's checking in the runs, checking out of runs, the threat, obviously, of him throwing the football. Last year, defenses could just key in on stopping the run and daring Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges to beat you with their arm, and they obviously couldn't do that. So the run game hasn't been the most successful. It's had its moments. It was uh, kind of bottled up a bit against Denver, but Connor broke that 59-yard run a career long for him uh, to seal that one. But overall, it's been efficient enough that I'm happy with where 
it's at, and Connor just needs to stay healthy because the talent's always been there for James Connor. There's no question about that. It's just been the elephant in the room. It's been health, and he you know missed a good chunk of week one with an ankle sprain, came back, and I thought ran consistently and effectively. And he's obviously playing in a contract year, so it's a big year for him. For him, and so him being healthy, running well, and, and having Ben back, and that offense just feeling more balanced and more open is going to pay off huge dividends. Which uh, now brings us to the other part. It looks like the Steelers, the way they played early and Drew Locke goes out, that they've got a pretty good handle and control of this game. Then for a period of time, they lost control. Why? I think it's three things. I think it's inefficiency on third down. They were 2-12 of on third down. They were highly penalized, 10 penalties, several defensive pass interferences or holding calls that kept drives alive that allowed Denver um, to avoid punts and being able to get points on the, on the board. And then the turnovers. They had the Benny Snell fumble, then throws that terrible pick I mentioned earlier to Justin Simmons. So um, I, I, I want to tip my hat to guys like Jeff Driscoll and, and their guys who made plays. Noah Fant made some great catches. Melvin Gordon had a great catch on his touchdown. And I uh, thought Driscoll hung in there really tough because the Seagulls hit the quarterback 19 times and Driscoll was all Denver had, so I want to tip my hat to them, but I think it was a lot of Steelers beating Steelers, just being inefficient on third down um, and, and just taking or, or giving the football uh, way too often that gave Denver a lot of opportunities to get back into the game. Alex, what's changed for Bud Dupree? Why are we seeing now somebody that, I mean, becomes such a threat? Is it having Watt on the other side or is it something Bud Dupree has done? I think, honestly, one of the top things, especially last year, I pointed to was health. You know, this guy, he was tough. He didn't miss a lot of time, but he had always been dealing with an injury. He had a groin injury, I think, three years ago that caused him to miss the first half of the season, and he's played through a lot of pain. He played through a torn pec a couple years ago. He played through a pretty serious elbow injury, and I think that really sapped him of a lot of power and kind of made him a one-dimensional speed rusher, and so tackles could just sit on that speed and really dare him to try to win with power, and he couldn't do it. So I think when he got healthy last year and has continued to have good health this year, he's been able to play with that kind of power and convert speed to power on bull rushers and be able to win in multiple ways. And I think that's been one of the big keys. It allows him to be more technical of a pass rusher, be better with his hand use and his punch and his placement. Um, and I think that the tools have always obviously always been there. He's been a freaky guy ever since he came out of Kentucky. And he's really just kind of come into his own because you know, he came out as a, a really raw guy from college. And he's a guy that's 25, 26 years old now. And that's often when guys kind of really start to, to find themselves and hit their stride. And so um, Dupree's a complete player. He's played, he plays the run better than he plays the pass. He plays the pass pretty well. Uh, he's a high-effort guy. He's a really hard worker. That's never been an issue. So I just think him staying healthy, being able to work on his technique and create more power as a pass rusher has really been the key to his, his uh, success. Uh, my understanding is uh, Mrs. Watts going to be bringing uh, Subway to the luxury suites because there's nothing <laughs> but Watts in the building uh, this weekend. Derek, TJ, JJ, the whole thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the matchup with Houston? You know, Houston's a bit of a tough team to try to figure out. I'm not exactly thrilled with the decisions Bill O'Brien's been making with trading DeAndre Hopkins for, for David Johnson, but, mm-hmm. you know, they, they lost the two of the best teams in football in Kansas City and Baltimore, and so they know they need a win. Um, they, they, I don't want to say they played those teams particularly tough, but they hung around a little bit in both of those games. Um, and Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, the best quarterback by far the Steelers will have faced through the first three weeks. So they're a bit of a tough team to figure out just because they've 
they've gone against the best of the best, and you know they've been able to at least hang around for a little bit. But I mean, I think Houston's allowed the most pressures in football, and the Steelers had seven sacks yesterday, and they're as blitz and aggressive uh, as any defense in football. And so I think that's the key. If you can continue to get home on Deshaun Watson, who is obviously missing DeAndre Hopkins, missing some big weapons in the past game, um, you're going to be able to succeed. But I don't want to discount the Texans. They're 0-2, but that 0-2 needs some context because they've lost to the best teams in football. All right, so now let's let's go to this part because this now applies to the NFL in college football all the time. It is discussed how a team makes its greatest improvement between game one and game two. The reason being is that game one, you're out of the gate cold. There's no preseason game. There's no scrimmage against anybody else. In the NFL, at least you have a couple of scrimmages. You have some preseason games that you can you can fool around with a little bit. But the NFL this year is playing it like college football. So... Let's go do this in two parts. Where were the Steelers better in Game 2 than they were in Game 1? I think that one's easy. I think it's the offensive line play. And it's kind of funny because you didn't necessarily expect them to be better offensive line-wise. They were starting a new face at, at right guard and rookie Kevin Dotson, who's made his first career start, and Chuck Wilma Corfor, who's replacing Zach Banner at right tackle. Banner's going to miss the year with a torn ACL. And so you didn't know how those two guys were going to hold up. Obviously, Denver not having Vaughn Miller certainly helps that matchup, but both guys played really well. I don't think either allowed a pressure. I know for a fact Dotson did not, according to PFF. So um, I think those guys were the difference in keeping the pocket clean, communicating with stunts and blitzes and um, just really playing well as a unit. Offensive line, if one guy fails, they all fail. And I think that line played really well, especially in pass pro on Sunday. All right, so now let's get to the other part. What didn't get better? Uh, where Because it didn't get better, it now becomes a little bit of a concern. Um, there, there's nothing super glaring. Again, the Steelers have not been playing the 27 Yankees the first two games of the season, so sure. it's still a little yeah. tough to gauge. I think Houston will, will will be able to gauge that a little bit better. I, I would just say some Steelers beating Steelers. There's too many too many turnovers. This team finds a way to turn the football. I think it's like 25 straight games they had a, a turnover, a giveaway, which just is unheard of and really unacceptable for this group. So the secondary hasn't been as sharp as it was last season. And like I said, there's been some Steelers beating Steelers, and I would like to see that run game get a little more consistent. So it's it's hard to pinpoint one area because this roster is well-rounded, and they have overall played well the first two weeks of the season. But I would like to see uh, the secondary maybe tighten up just a little bit and stop giving the football away. It's also had an opportunity on both sides of the ball to see sub-packages in the game. What have you thought about the Steelers' sub-packages on offense, and what have you thought about their sub-packages so far in defense? Because now we have two weeks to get a feel for it. Yeah, I don't think it's been anything totally brand new, especially defensively. I mean, they had basically everybody returning from last year, aside from John Hargrave, who's over in Philly now, and Mark Barron, who signed with Denver. But other than that, that whole secondary was intact, and so that's allowed them to play. Obviously, their base 3-4, nickel, dime, and a lot of different sub-packages that way. There's nothing really brand new in terms of personnel groupings. Offense has been mostly the same. Um, they've had some trouble with two tight end sets in terms of trying to run the football. They have Vance McDonald and Eric Ebron, and Ebron's really a big receiver just happening to, to line up in a three-point stance, and his blocking's been pretty tough. But um, the depth at receiver, I think just overall less about the actual packages, but the ability to rotate guys in. You talk about a Chase Claypool, 84-yard touchdown, his first career uh, touchdown in the NFL. Uh, to have him as a number four receiver in this offense is pretty special. Some of the rotational guys along the defensive line and linebackers on, on the other side of the football, whether that's an Isaiah Bugs or Chris Wormley or guys like that, I think a play bowl, the rookie Alex Highsmith has done well in limited action. So for me, it's less about, 
necessarily new personnel groupings because that hasn't really been there, but just having depth to rotate guys in, especially early in the season when guys are still getting their legs under him, getting conditioned, and they can't play the maybe 80 to 90 percent of snaps in certain positions that you could whenever you get late into the season. Guys like uh, T.J. Watt, uh, Bud Dupree would talk about Cam Hayward to a point, uh, and Micah Fitzpatrick get a lot of publicity. Although Hayward sometimes I feel goes too far into the radar because I think he's really good. <laughs> what have you thought about sure. Devin Bush? And I've had a couple of years to watch him. What do you ask? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Uh, uh, Devin Bush. Now you've had a couple of years to watch him. What do you think of him? I've been impressed. I think there was he struggled a bit in the second half against Denver against Noah Fant. Fant caught a touchdown on him. There was a tough concept for Bush to cover. He's but he's really becoming the guy. You know, last year the training wheels were on a little bit. There was a lot of hype around him, and he played a good amount of the time. But he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the every down linebacker. He was coming off in dime packages, a lot of third down situations. This year he's played every single every single snap. The first two weeks he's wearing the green dot. He's the central hub of communication. So they're really putting all the onus, all the responsibilities on Devin Bush. I think overall he has played well. There's some work and coverage for him to do and I think maybe he's feeling the the weight and the conditioning of being the every down, every situation guy, but I think he's a really good processor. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. He's obviously a remarkable athlete. The coverage stuff I think will get cleaned up a little bit as he continues to learn and go over a young guy, underclassman coming out of Michigan, I think 21 years old when he got drafted. So um, I've been impressed by him. The sky's the limit for a guy like that. Uh, what's the Steeler injury report look like right now, Alex? Came out of week two a lot healthier than week one. and <laughs> Most teams not come out healthier week two, unfortunately. There's been a brutal couple of injuries around the league. But uh, the Steelers' O-line is probably where the injury report starts and ends at. They're still missing right guard David Castro. He's missed post uh, two weeks of the season. Hopefully he'll come back for Sunday. Just don't know a whole lot about that knee injury he's dealing with right now. And they had, like I said earlier, they lost Zach Banner, the right tackle for the season. So they've had new faces at right guard and right tackle. Other than that, though, they've been pretty healthy, believe it or not. Alex, always a pleasure. Really appreciate your time and analysis. Thanks, guys. Take care. Alex Kazora, Steelers Depot. Final half hour, Kim Jones, NFL Network. As we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business. They'll figure out ways, by the way, to save you money because if there's a way to bundle it and save you money, they'll do that. They're always looking for the best price somewhere for you. 
and that's why they're the pros pros they are the best in the business and by the way even better people that's Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. This is, what, uh, officially the last day of summer? Is that right? Autumn actually begins tomorrow? That is right, yeah. Yeah. I guess in this morning's staff meeting, there was a 20-minute dissertation on autumn, and <laughs> I sort of summed it up in 18 seconds. I mean, it's, you can do it that fast. I just want to make sure you know. Yeah, that's about right. I'm well aware. Anything else for the good of the order? <laughs> Meeting's over. You'd be amazed how you can win the hearts of your employees by keeping it short and to the point. He's <laughs> rolling his eyes in the back office. I can see him now. Oh, unbelievable. The injuries in the NFL, um, probably, unfortunately, close to average at this point, but what's not average are the names. You know, you're talking, you know, Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo, Cortland Sutton. I mean, it's the names. I mean, even Christian McCaffrey's out four to six weeks. High ankle sprain. But it's who it is. Not as much as how long. I mean, the list is long, but while being a long list, it's the names on the list. That's what's Got people shaking their heads. I mean, you're talking legit star power. By the way, uh, Death Star tonight. You get to see the Raiders' new home in Las Vegas, right off the strip, Allegiant Stadium. There'll be more people in the lobby of Caesar's Palace than there will be inside the stadium, but that's okay. It's just the way it is in 2020. Uh, interesting place. It's got a, you, you name it, it has it. Uh, it does not have a retractable dome. It's a $1.9 billion stadium, but does not have a retractable dome. But it has the kind of covering like SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles where sunlight does come through. They also have, they're also going to play on natural grass. You're saying, well, how can you do that? And it's because they have the same setup that the Cardinals do in Glendale, where Penn State played the Fiesta Bowl, where the grass field is outside. And they water it, and they let it get sun, and the whole deal, and they take care of it. And then when it comes time to play, hit a button, feels roll, feel rolls in. They're gonna have the same situation at uh, at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. If you're asking for any of you who are out at the Fiesta Bowl, okay, where do they put the grass field? If you saw where Penn State's buses were parked in the back of the stadium. That's where the grass field normally is. So that lot down there, pretty obviously pretty big lot, but where the Penn State buses were for any of you who went to the Fiesta Bowl and said, oh, yeah, that's where they're parked, that's where the grass field normally is. And you hit a button, and it goes in. Same story with this. And not only that, it's supposedly it's a, it's a deeper root system that they have. But they put all 
the bells and whistles in with the stadium. Unfortunately, they can't use any of them. Yeah. It's... uh, But we get a chance to see that for the first time tonight. Saints and Raiders, that's the game this evening. Phillies play the Nationals at 6.05. That's on Eagle 107, 5.30 the airtime on Eagle 107 for for the uh, Phillies and Nationals. We're in the last week of the baseball regular season, so it's time to see who makes the playoffs. And a team that seems to be getting better and better with each week, San Diego Padres. Better and better. Interesting. Uh, Your Yankees finally lost to the Red Sox. Yes. But you know what? Compared to whatever what else happened yesterday, it's whatever. It's it's just whatever. See, this yeah, is where they've, the they've, they've been on a, they're on a good run. They're going to make the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens. They, they got to beat the Rays. That's the next best. That's the next thing for me. You got to beat the Rays. Let me. I want to say this very quickly about all the sports together because the Stanley Cup Finals also tonight. Game two between Dallas and Tampa Bay. The Stars won the opener four to one. This is a big, big problem that the NBA has right now, and it is a big problem. Last night, Anthony Davis hit a three-pointer on the final play to beat the Denver Nuggets. They were down one. He hit the three. They won it. It really was one of those, if it's in June, epic shots. Oh, it was incredible, yeah. But the game was opposite the Seahawks and the Patriots. Other than SportsCenter, who saw it? That's the problem the NBA has. They're locked in opposite the NFL, and they're going to get locked in against college football here by the end of the month, and it's not pretty ratings-wise. From Purdy Insurance. As we continue in the green phase per the governor's order, most of our staff continues to work from home to practice social distancing for the safety of our staff and clients. During this time, we are operating under the guidance of the insurance department. Our office remains available to service our current and new clients by phone by calling 570-286-5855, email, and by appointment. Our after-hours emergency service is also ready to assist our clients with their needs. From the team at Purdy Insurance, stay safe, be well, be kind, and know that we remain dedicated to the highest levels of service to protect what matters most. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, bundles, they'll save you money wherever they can and make sure you are insured and they'll upgrade whenever needed. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. It's always great to spend even a few minutes uh, talking with Kim Jones, NFL Network. Kim, welcome back. Great to have you with us. I hope everything's going well for you. 
Everything's great, Steve. Thanks. Uh, how heartbreaking was it to see Saquon yesterday? Very difficult. I was watching on TV, like most people, um, really hard to watch. Um, and I hate it. I hate the injury. Um, my colleague Ian Rappaport uh, has the full diagnosis. He, he tore not only his ACL, but a partial tear of his meniscus. Uh, and a strained MCL. The the, the MCL is not the issue. Uh, that'll just heal. Um, right. The meniscus is going to require another surgery in two to four weeks um, after swelling and inflammation has gone down. So um, by no means is this insurmountable, but um, it's not usually just an MC or excuse me, an ACL. And unfortunately, Saquon's wasn't just an ACL. Right. I mean, you can get to the point where you can tear the PCL, the MCL, the ACL, yep. and so forth. All right, he didn't tear the PCL. He strained right. the MCL, which is which is a partial, mm-hmm. and that just heals with time. But the meniscus part add, does add to it. Yes, uh, it does. It, I don't know, think it'll add to any kind of recovery, Steve, but I think it will add to the rehab um, and the amount of work he's going to have to do. Although with Saquon, none of us who know him worry about that part. He'll work his tail off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in other words, he'll get himself back. I mean, because you and I know his work ethic is unparalleled. I mean, he'll he'll treat this yeah. as if he's actually going to the season. Yeah, I just feel so bad for him because last year, after the high ankle sprain, which he willed himself to come back from, missed three games, probably should have missed six. Um, you know, he he played a little bit compromised, but he really wanted to be out there, and and that's Saquon. So you, you hate the idea that this year again he has an injury where um, nothing he could do about it. Um, Joe Judge, the Giants coach, was just on Zoom with us, and he reiterated what at least I know, and I have to believe most reporters know, you know, Saquon couldn't have trained differently to prevent this. He couldn't have worked harder to prevent this. This isn't one of those soft tissue injuries that we can talk about, oh, what if they had had preseason games? Maybe some of this wouldn't have happened. This is a, it happens, it stinks that it happens, and there's nothing he could have done to prevent it. And, and by the way, Eddie Jackson of the Bears, who's a terrific player, in his own right, sent out a tweet saying he never intends for a player to get injured, and he mentioned, I believe he mentioned Saquon in the tweet. I didn't think there was anything wrong with the defender no. on that, that play. I had no issue there either, so this was just bad football luck for Saquon Barkley, I think. Yeah, yeah no, the play was clean. The, uh, what actually made the play happen is because both guys made such great effort. Saquon yeah. wouldn't go down, and he wanted to take him down. It was just effort on both parts that actually right. created the injury, which is good football, actually. Yeah, and sometimes you see a DB, you know, try to push Saquon, you know, or, yeah. or you know, just kind of almost stay out of his way, but get him uh, to the boundary or get him to the ground. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Good football play all around. The, the result's what stinks. Uh, part of the issue he's had now look when you're the second overall choice in the draft there's a reason why they're the second overall choice in the draft right? how tough has it been for him to operate behind an offensive line that has, has needed such dramatic rebuilding yeah, I mean, not easy. Um, I'm not sure, and, and this goes back to past, not not current, past conversations I've had with James Franklin. I'm not sure Saquon's ever 
had a great or even a really good offensive line. And, you know, at Penn State, it was because of the sanctions and because of certain positions hit harder than others, which my impression is offensive line was in that group. So, you know, and with the, with the Giants, he certainly hasn't had a good slash great offensive line at any point. So, and I don't know what this year's would, you know, is going to turn out to be. So, um, you, you do wonder, a wondrous talent um, who, who needs some help in order to fulfill his great potential. No one does it alone at the NFL level. Uh, not even quarterbacks who have the ball in their hand more than anyone else. So, uh, you know, I, 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 my hope for Saquon, first and foremost, now is a complete and full recovery, which I certainly expect. And, and then the idea yep. that this is a team structured in a way that it's more ready to win than any professional team he's ever been a part of when he ultimately comes back. And I have to believe that is, is for the, the 2021 season. I have to believe he's back for that. Right, I, I'm I'm with you all the way on that. Um, let's get to what happened with the Niners. Uh, the last time, look, I was I did a game at MetLife was 2013. So you know, so they've replaced that turf since. So what is the Niners' issue with the turf? Well, because they're going to go back there yeah. again after spending I mean, I a week at the I think their issue Bar. is they just lost, you know, one of the ten best defensive players in the league in Nick Bosa. You know, I think that's probably sure. their issue with the turf. Uh, I don't know that an ankle sprain by a quarterback is something you would blame on the turf. Uh, I guess there's a scenario where you could. And they, I know they also lost Solomon Thomas. So I know yesterday was not a good day for injuries around the entire league. And I was at the Jets 49ers game, so I did see that up close and personal. Losing Bosa, it, that made me sick too, by the way. I mean, I like to see players, A, stay healthy, and I like to say, see great players play. And Nick Bosa certainly fits that category. So um, that was disappointing. Um, their issue, they said something about the turf, which was replaced before this season. So there have yes. been two games on it. Um, I think I'd have to rack my brain to come up with an issue in the Steelers-Giants game. I can't think of an issue in that Monday night football game injury-wise that struck me as unusual or anything like that. I can't think of one. Um, there was an in, there, Actually, there were two injuries to Steelers offensive linemen, but I don't think they would have been the kind of injuries that you would blame on turf. So I don't know. And then there was a statement today by the MetLife Stadium folks that the turf's been inspected and passes all of the tests. So, you know, could it just be bad luck? It's 2020. I think it could just be bad luck. But what do I yeah. know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. It could just be because I mean, look, you you not only saw it live, but then you watched the replays. And what were your thoughts? A watching those injuries happen live, right? And then right. when you look at the replay and the reasons for it, right, right. And offensive so linemen th- are tangled up yeah. all the time anyway. Not yeah. that, that makes their injuries any less devastating to teams, but you know that we've learned to expect. All right. No, that's exactly right. Uh, so what are your impressions through two weeks? Because what's interesting about this is that in some ways you feel like you're watching a college football season because there were no scrimmages against the other teams. Mm-hmm. There were no preseason games. Right. In college, you just start and you go. So every coach, and you've heard this a thousand times, I don't have to tell you, a college coach will tell you to make your greatest improvement between game one and game two. Why? Because now you've got game one under your belt. You know what went wrong. So who's better after game two, in your opinion? Uh, I think the Bills are at the top of that list. Um, I am mystified, and I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it, how Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have great chemistry, 
right off the bat, I saw it in training camp, and I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. And because it was training camp, I trusted it, but I wasn't sure how much I should trust it. They are absolutely remarkable. I, I don't know how they're doing what, they do, what they're doing. And I think it's a great credit to both of them. Um, Diggs is helping Josh Allen become a better quarterback and a more accurate quarterback. And to Josh's credit, he, he trusts Diggs where no movement is a wasted movement for him when he runs a route. I've talked to him about this. He is unbelievable that way. And I'm not sure that we all knew that, you know, during his time in Minnesota. So uh, I think the Bills um, are absolutely remarkable. I would like very much for them to get Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano back because they're really good linebackers and they're going to need them. But what the Bills' offense is doing right now strikes me. Um, obviously, Lamar Jackson. I mean, I, I just, you know, you're talking about a guy who's just so good, so composed, and, and, and everything else, and just fun to watch. Um, Mahomes speaks for himself, too, by the way. Um, I think that those would be a few of my top storylines of the teams I've seen, um, although I will say I don't think we talk enough about the Steelers' front because I don't, I don't care if you're Saquon Barkley or if you're a you know, 270-pound fullback. I don't know who's chipping Bud Dupree. Uh, T.J. Watts, obviously, <laughs> you know, very talented. Hayward's in the middle. Um, some of us remember Ironhead, his dad. So, yeah. uh, you know, the teams that I've seen so far, there are a few of them that stand out, you know, especially specific parts of those teams. Something I've talked about for years when it comes to athletes in general, and Mike Kosicki of the Dolphins falls into this category. Oh, he's having a, he had a good game yesterday, a really good game, yes. Yeah, a really good game. Yep. But Mike's a guy who played a lot of different sports in high school. He played volleyball. Mm-hmm. He ended up playing basketball. He's a Troy All-State basketball player. Uh, player of the year in New Jersey. Kyler Murray, in the opening game against the Niners, rushed for over 100 yards. He was tackled exactly once because he got out of bounds or he was able to slide. Now let's bring it full circle with with Mike Kosicki. What do Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson both have in common? They're both outstanding baseball players at one point, which means they know how to slide. How important is that moving forward when you look at an athlete that they've played other sports and they can bring that kind of element to the table because it's going to keep Russell Wilson going. You know, People forget he was a fourth-round pick of the Colorado Rockies, and he played uh, in the Rockies system briefly. And then there's, there's Kyler Murray. Well, and Mahomes' dad, you know, played for the Yankees and and uh, for everybody and Twins. for everybody else. And and Patrick grew up, you know, in clubhouses essentially. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's more arm angle. I, I get the slide thing, I do, and they can protect themselves. And I, you know, if I've not really seen a lot of Kyler yet, but I certainly could have put him on the list of wows, you know, two weeks into this season. Uh, you know, to me, it's more arm angle, Steve, but I get what you're saying with the sliding. Uh, and the one thing about Kyler Murray and uh, Lamar Jackson, they both went to teams that invested fully in who they are. They built immediately around their quarterbacks, even at a yeah. very young age. And that was so, so smart. I did not necessarily think Cliff Kingsbury would make it. I don't even know what his record was at Texas Tech. I don't know that it was a winning record. <laughs> it was but not. 
so I was skeptical. But for those organizations, they decided to go all in. They are two of the more watchable teams, obviously, because they're really entertaining. But they really did it the right way in terms of building around their quarterback. I have great respect for teams that have that kind of self-awareness and that kind of dedication to say, we're all in with this guy. You know, we see a lot of square peg, round hole people. We, we see a lot of quarterbacks struggling. You know, listen, you know, even Saquon at number two for the Giants, you could argue it took them way too long to fix the offensive line to help out their number two uh, pick in that draft in Saquon Barkley. Right. So um, I, I just love what they're doing. And the Kyler experiment to me is absolutely fascinating because all we heard was he was too short. Exactly. Now let's go. Now I asked you about through two weeks who's impressed. Now through two weeks, who should have the alarm up? Well, I mean, the Jets aren't functioning right now in many ways as a professional football team. They just they look lost, uh, not particularly competitive. That's not a good sign. Um, I don't think the Giants look that way. I do think um, the Giants have not been able uh, to capitalize on a few opportunities where at the very least right now they conceivably could be one and one. Um, Daniel has continued to give away the ball. He has four turnovers in two games. Um, That's just not sustainable. And um, my sense is I certainly believe Joe Judge knows that, and I certainly believe behind closed doors uh, there is an urgency to fix that. But both of the New York teams who play in New Jersey right now are not distinguishing themselves in different ways. Uh, and now it will be tough sledding, I, I would guess, for the Giants, who in losing Saquon, they lose a player who was the singular focus of every defense they face. So uh, that challenge uh, will now be – they will now be able to direct their sort of uh, personnel other ways because they don't have Saquon anymore to worry about if you're a Giants opponent. So, you know, the the Giants and Jets stand out to me because they're the teams that I cover most often. And frankly, the Jets can't get out of their own way, and the Giants have already fallen on some hard times. I'll say this. The Giants look like they have more fight in them. They may not win games. Yeah, I can see that. Sometimes I wonder about that, Steve, because you know how that can look, you know, at certain points. But, yeah, I'm with you on that. And, by the way, the Eagles aren't distinguishing themselves either early on. No, no, they're no, they're absolutely struggling, absolutely struggling. Well, you never struggle, so it's great to have you with us. <laughs> Appreciate you very much. Uh, continue to do the great work and all the great respect we have for you all the time, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, so much. Kim Jones, NFL Network. You notice he slipped in that part at the end for you. I was waiting for it. And she's right. Actually, the two teams, I think the two teams, to me, I would look at right away and go, whoa. Uh, The Eagles, absolutely. And then suddenly the Vikings. Yeah, definitely. The Vikings are on two. I would look at that. The Eagles, I mean, you can just tell they're a one-hit wonder. All right. Um, what? <laughs> Just kidding. Although you can't kid with Eagles fans. Have you noticed that? You can't kid with them. Yes. They're also serious. And and I will say this: I, I really don't get Eagle fans ripping the link for 
putting in the artificial booze. Chris, for me, from an Eagles fan's perspective, that's knowing your fan base. That's understanding them of how bad they played yesterday, and they deserve those boos. So I applaud the link for playing the boos yesterday. To remind the fans that, hey, wow. we may not be there in person, but we're still watching you at home, and you're still playing for the entire city of Philadelphia and beyond, and the way they played yesterday was unacceptable. So I was okay with that. I, I, don't, I, don't, get the, I don't get the hate towards that. I really don't. Wow. Okay. Boy, you're... Holy... All right. <laughs> but at least the Eagles are not the Jets. Uh, that's well pointed out there by Kim. The Jets just... Uh, they look lost. <laughs> I mean, they really do. It's just... Uh, I, I, yeah, that, that and, I can't and explain. You, and you know what the problem is? The problem with that is it seems like... It's not true, but in general, it feels like it's an every year thing. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment here on uh, News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. So it's a torn ACL for uh, Saquon Barkley, and Ian Rappaport uh, told Kim Jones on NFL Network, that it's a torn ACL. He's going to need meniscus surgery, and he has a sprained MCL. The sprained MCL just heals with time. That's no big de- That's, quote, at a relative scale, no big deal. But he'll need surgery for the um, ACL, obviously, and for the meniscus. So that's what it is with him. So it's more than just a torn ACL. And uh, Kim Jones uh, told us about that, that uh, it was reported by Ian Rappaport, that that's what Saquon has. Uh, he will he will overcome this, I can guarantee you that. Uh, you just have to be around him for 10 minutes to realize the work ethic that uh, he has, which is... Tremendous. And we've got uh, and of course we talked about the schedule as well. One element of the schedule I did not get into was the end. Now I realize in this particular year it's a transition for Michigan State. Uh, I don't care what order they play people in. I never really have. The only thing I I just don't like to see back to back games, where it's like suddenly it's you know it's Ohio State and Michigan back to back. All right, that's about where it ends for me. Uh, but from the fans, let's talk about it from the fans' point of view. I don't know what the Big Ten has been trying to do with trying to create this whatever at the end with a rotation of Rutgers and then Maryland and Michigan State. But you've got something in the Big Ten uh, where now they've got something going with Nebraska and Iowa. Minnesota plays Wisconsin at the end. You've got Illinois, Northwestern, Michigan, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana for the old oak and bucket. The bottom line is they should have Maryland and Rutgers play each other at the end. Let them establish something. 
Michigan State, the old-time fans of the Big to Penn State, will never even remotely come close to replacing Pitt. But it should be pointed out that playing Maryland and Rutgers at the end doesn't replace Michigan State. I know the Michigan State people, they are aching to get Penn State on at the end of the season because they, they feel like they're just in the wilderness without it.